Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. Each Money Making Conversation talk show is about entrepreneurship and entertainment. I provide the consumer and business owner access to celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. I recognize that we all have different definitions of success. For some, it's a sizable paycheck. Mine is helping people wake up and inspiring them to accomplish their dreams and goals and live the very best life. These are my passions, and that's what I want to do for you. I want you to stop tripping over small challenges and prepare to rise above the bigger obstacles that life will present to you. The Money Making Conversation interviews provide relatable information to the listener about career and financial planning, entrepreneurship, motivation, leadership, overcoming the odds, and how to live a balanced life. My guest established his own hair business at the age of 12. I can tell you what I was doing at the age of 12. It wasn't establishing a business. I can tell you that. He became First Lady Michelle Obama's personal hairstylist and helped to establish her as a global beauty and style icon. I know he used to come on Steve Harvey's show all the time talking about that experience when we were doing some co-sponsorships. His client list include Maxine Waters, Queen Latifah, Kerry Washington, Regina King, Tamron Hall, Reese Witherspoon, Lauren London, Janelle Monet, and many others. He is on the show to talk about his new show on VH1. I've seen it and it laughed a lot. To catch a beautician, please welcome to Money Making Conversations, my man, Johnny Wright. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> I love that introduction. Thank you. Hey, man. Look at Johnny. You, 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 you know, we, we got to get a little history together, man. We used to come on the Steve Harvey yeah. show and and then I yeah. asked you to come out and be a presenter at the neighborhood awards and you're, you're a community guy man i always liked about you you're just a regular guy fame has been a blessing for you but it's never taken control of your life tell us about that oh no absolutely not you know i don't honestly don't even consider myself famous um i uh i'm just a average joe from the south side of chicago mm-hmm. who had you know some dreams and aspirations and i was raised well with parents who worked hard and made sure that we were provided with everything that we wanted in our lives. And um, they believed in me. Um, I was raised with a hairstylist grandmother as well, too. That's why I feel like I got all of my talent from. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just, I, I, I like to call myself a people's person. And I like to be around the people. I don't want to be considered famous, so to speak, because for me, I don't want anybody to feel that they can't approach me. They can't speak to me. They can't send me a DM or a message or anything like that. Right. You know, I I am I am I I feel like with my talent, I I like to say that I am serving my God and I'm getting rewarded for it. So that's how I view it more so than this journey of being famous. You know, it's really interesting right? because that's that's true. You those are true. Tro- you you choose your words, but they're all dead on about your personality because our relationship yeah. started. I like to say prior to the explosion of the social media. When, yeah, uh, definitely. You know, when the fame was, uh, you know, you know, you had to get your website up and running. You had to have your little fan club mm-hmm. list and all the emails and all that stuff. How has the um, explosion of the uh, social media, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and stories and all that and TikTok now has had an impact on on building out your brand and your growth? 
Oh, it's been, it's been it's been extremely useful. I would say that you know I'm still a little old school. I do post. I do use my social media to get information out there and to get things that out there about my business and the things that I'm doing. But I don't post as much as most people do, and um, I definitely don't have. I don't even have a website and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I've I've been been able to be very fortunate to be connected to people through word of mouth, and mm-hmm. you know social media has been great for me as well too because. That's how I got, you know, the gig of doing uh, what I'm doing now with uh, VH1, mm-hmm. you know. No, VH1, yeah. They, they reached out to me on Facebook. The casting company reached wow. out to me via Facebook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I came in and did a couple of auditions and did the, the chemistry test with Tamar. Then, then the rest was history, basically. Now we have 20 episodes running on VH1. And we have the number one trending show on VH1 right now, which I'm very excited about, the casting musician. So... For me, you know, I see the value in um, social media. I see um, the need for it. I, 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 I also find it to be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, the only time that I feel that, you know, social media can be dangerous, and this is a personal choice for people, is when they, they, they make it too important where it becomes, uh, you know, uh, some type of detriment to their insecurities and all those type of things. And that's when I find it to be a little um, not useful. But other than that, you have self-control and you can handle it. I think um, um, social media is amazing. You know, I really uh, let's let's we know we're in the middle of a pandemic and we know that Mm -hmm. African-Americans are overtly uh, affected by the uh, by this virus that does not have a vaccine and then when i have a brother who has a uh, uh, three or four uh, three barbershops in the beauty salon in the washington dc maryland area and he just opened back up june 1st okay yeah the restrictions mm-hmm. and it's opened up with social distancing uh, you are i have to say you're an expert in the beauty and barber industry you you hear the pain you hear the screams you hear the frustrations tell us about the impact and uh, what what have you been able to do to to assist if you've been able to assist in this whole pandemic run of trying to understand when we should open. I'm sure that people have called on your advice. Talk to us about this time yeah. for the beauty and barber industry, which is really suffering and struggling to reopen. Absolutely. You know, I was, I, I had to catch myself because in the, be, you know, in the beginning, you know, in the middle of the uh, COVID and the quarantine, I saw a lot of posts on Instagram about, you know, saving the restaurants and da 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 and all this. I'm like, what are you talking about? You can still order out. You can still get the food, you know, but as a hairstylist in the salon industry, you can't do anything because you can't even be around somebody. So we were, you know, tremendously uh, affected by right. this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, you know, my advice, I remember when Atlanta was opening up, I, I, I remember saying, you know, I have an after show with Tamar that we do every week. And that week that they opened up, we had a few Atlanta stylists come on just to talk about, the steps that they were taking to be safe. But, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, because um, you, you want to get back to work outside of just wanting to make money and to support yourself. You want to get back to your creative being. You know, right. for me, I, I haven't done hair since the show. I mean, we luckily and thankfully we finished, we wrapped the show literally two weeks before lockdown. Mm-hmm. We wrapped the show so we were done. And that was the last time that I had my hand in some hair. But I haven't done any hair. So me personally, you know, and I I particularly mostly work with celebrities. Right. So there's no celebrities getting done right now. Celebrities are not on red carpet. There are no events happening right now. Mm-hmm. There aren't any red carpets. And production is down. Also, nobody's doing photo shoots and things like that for content. So I haven't done any hair, so it definitely affected me in that sense. And 
thankfully, you know, I, 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 you know, did well with the show and I have money in the bank. So I'm okay. But you know, if I, if I wasn't in that situation, it would be a hard struggle for me right now. Right. But what I can say for those that are opening back up, make sure that you follow all the precautions and that's necessary to keep your stuff and your clients safe. And this is the perfect time to raise your prices, not only because you deserve it, but outside of that, it will make it much easier for you to take less clients to keep the salon not so packed. Right. So raise your prices, double them up if necessary, raise those prices. That way you're not working much. Uh, you are not working harder, but you're working smarter and you're working more safe. My man, Johnny Wright speaking yeah. to us and, uh, the, the, you know, we I used to always tease you, Johnny. You come on the show. We used to always tease. You know, you had uh, yeah. First Lady Michelle Obama. You know, you in fact, <laughs> sometimes you call in the show from the White House. You know, or you say, I uh, did, or I did. you say, hey, well, I can't talk to you guys right now. You know, we're in a secure, uh, a secure yeah. area. You know, we just have some great conversations. Yeah. So just talk about that experience <laughs> uh, because of being that's a powerful role and a very important role that you played because you had the respect. And uh, uh, the first lady when she was in the White House at the time. Uh, I want to just talk about that a little bit before we get into the show, which is a fantastic show. VH wants to catch a beautician. Let's talk about the experience yeah. of being 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 with the first lady and being a stylist and being her, her confidant. Yeah, you know, it was it was an amazing experience for me, and I can would not change those eight years for the life of me. So just a lot of things. A lot of times, a lot of people don't know I moved. To Los Angeles back in 2007. Right. To and I left 300 clients in Chicago to potentially have a you know uh, uh, a a presence on television. Of course, mm-hmm. that got beautifully interrupted by the first lady, and I moved to DC to be with her for those eight years. And I could not have asked for a better experience. I've been to over 45 countries with her. I was able to travel on Air Force One and Bright Star and all that exclusivity, and it was just an amazing experience just to experience the first African-American first family at a bird's eye view was bar none the best eight years of my life so far. And I'm so honored to, and thankful that she chose me to work with her. How did she choose you? How did she choose you? So my, my, my agent, his name is Ken Barboza. He's still my agent to this day. Back in 2007, maybe two, two, two to three weeks after they announced on Oprah that they were running for candidacy, he booked me with her for Essence Magazine photo shoot. And I didn't think anything of it. To be honest, I wasn't too optimistic and thinking that they were actually going to be in the White House. So I just took a job. It was paying editorial weight. I was off that day. I was like, fine, I'll do it. And we met and and we hit it off. And then um, I got called to do her again for O Magazine, maybe like a month later. And at the time, she wasn't doing covers, of course. She was just doing like little inserts of get to know the senator's wife (laughs) that's running for president. (laughs) Um, and then at that photo shoot, between the first photo shoot and the second photo shoot, I had decided to move here to Los Angeles. And at that photo shoot, when we, we when, when we wrapped, I said to her, hey, I'm moving to L.A. And I basically was like, good, good luck. Hope you guys win. And um, I moved to L.A. maybe a week or so after that. And we were able to keep in touch because she was in California a lot throughout the campaign. And the campaign became more and more intense throughout 2008. Right. And... Um, she would call me whenever she was in LA to keep her camera ready. And I did. And then when it really changed for me is when I 
was asked to come be with her for the first Democratic National Convention wow. in Denver. And I was with her that whole week. They flew me out and put me up. I was with her the whole week. And that's when people really saw my stroke of the brush, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. I, that was my first time doing her hair from start to finish. And it, it made an impact. And once they won, she asked me to move to D.C. And I did. You said they saw, they contacted you through Facebook. That's how you got this show. Yes. Yeah. So the casting director reached out to me directly through Facebook and, and said that he was given all these other artists, hairstylists to look into, but he saw me, found me on his own and he wanted me to come in and audition. And I came in and did an audition. They put me on tape. And then I did, I think I did a second audition and then they did the chemistry test. And I'm sure everybody see me and Tamar have great chemistry. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And y'all look good. Was, y'all look good on camera, man. It. Y'all look very, very Thank good on you. camera. Thank brother. you. That's yep. cute too. Yeah, you know. it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was great. And um, and I, I love the concept of the show because you know I had got approached a ton of times to do reality oh, shows. Let me slow down do on like, that before I get too deep, because when when, they, when okay. the idea came to me about it, you know, and I'm gonna just tell everybody, I always try to be honest and authentic on the show. I thought it was gonna be a, like an ambush show. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. the cheaters type show, you know, where where, yeah. where where we leave people feeling bad, you know, the beauticians yeah. or, the, or no, bombers no, no. or yeah. whatever, you know. And so, yeah. and so, so, so that was my first thought. So when this came, I said, Johnny got this new show. Check it out, Rashawn. I go, man, to catch a beautician. You know, I, I watch because I watch Botch, you know, by Plastic Surgery. Mm-hmm. I watch that. Yeah. And, then, and then, like I said, cheaters is the closest <clears throat> example of this where somebody's cheating and you, you show up with a camera crew and go, ha ha. But this show, <laughs> this show, man, is not that show. I'm telling everybody, it's not it's that not. show. And if you watch the beginning of each episode, it clearly tells you the premise. And yeah, yeah. that's what I like. If you don't know what this show is about, just watch. And you got any complaints and got you, got some stereotypes about it, which what it may be. Watch the, f- the opening of the show. It tells you exactly what it's about. And when I saw uh-huh. the o- when I saw the opening credits, I was sold on the show, Johnny. I really was. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. That's, I'm glad that we did that show explainer because we wanted people to know what the show was about and not think that it was going to be one of those reality shows where we make people feel bad and people are fighting and all that kind of stuff. Listen, there is drama. Throughout the show, there is a little bit of a sting, not necessarily an ambush. Um, but, of course, that's what the show needs to keep people attention. But at oh, the end of the day. Absolutely. But, you know, but yeah. you know, I'm going to tell you something, man. You know, Rashawn, Rashawn don't have hair like he used to have. But Rashawn have had <laughs> some bad haircuts in his lifetime. Okay. When you yeah, you've gotten up and you, and you paid the dude the money. Okay. I paid the dude the money. Walked out mad. Okay, and this is basically what this show is about. All those times you gotten up out of that beautician's the beauty chair or beautician walked away, you gave money, you walked out there mad. This show allowed yeah. you to come back and this this person who took your money happily took your money. No, they didn't deliver the goods. This show allows them to fix the problem, and both yeah both parties walk away happy. That's what I liked about yeah. the show. John, I really yeah, did. I, I enjoyed that, man. You need the little sting. You need all that. That's that's entertainment. But the fact that yeah, this show allows for both parties now to be satisfied, like like for instance, uh, this episode with the dude with the cowboy hat, right? You know, uh, yeah, the, the cowboy. He walked in because of how how they set up the show is these people are coming to meet Johnny Wright. You know, big yeah. time Johnny Wright. They said, "Oh, I want to meet Johnny Wright." Okay, and 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 Johnny interviews him, and he starts showing him little different photos about different things they've done. This guy in particular, he had messed up this girl's hair, but on a model on a model casting call, 
And so even doing his interview, Johnny, he admitted he didn't do a good job. Remember, he admitted mm-hmm. he yeah, didn't he do did. a good job because you asked him, yeah. what do you think? He said, well, we didn't really do a good job on our hair. He said that. So, but did he fix it? No, he kind of messed it up. And then, right. the, then the, that's when the sting part he talks about. It. Then Tamar come running out of the back with a camera crew, camera crew with the disgruntled person who had the bad hairdo. And that sets the tempo for the show. That to me, man, is yes, they're a little stunned. Yes, they're a little caught off guard. But you're not blasting them and go, get your butt out of here. You're a horrible beautician. That's what the boot no, camp no, no, That's no. what I love about it. I'm telling you something, Johnny. I love that, man. I really do. But continue to tell everybody about the show, Johnny. You know, and uh, the thing about it is I would have to say kudos to VH1 because I think this show is a show that they wanted to pioneer the shifting of the narrative of the network. You know what I mean? They didn't want it to be another show of people fighting and screaming at each other, but there is drama, but there is always a happy end. You know, I like to describe the show as a cross between botched and to catch a predator. Yes. And the reason why I use those two is because, of course, you have. That's pretty strange, though, that catch a predator. Now, you might want to drop yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> you might, well, you might, I got you like, a botch. You might want to drop that catch a predator side, okay? <laughs> well, the thing is, the, 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 the way that I explain it is, you know, that, that the, when the person comes in, they, they have no idea right. mm-hmm. that. The stylist is there. So that's what's the catch a predator part. But the mm-hmm. botch part, of course, is the fact that they did mess up somebody's hair and they're going to go through and get it done and, and fix it and get it right, you know? And that's what I really enjoyed about the show because I did not want to be on a regular docuseries where producers are egging you on to kind of like pin you against your friend and things like that. You know, I, I didn't want to be a part of those. I don't think they're good for your brand. And I just don't think they're a great television, me personally. I understand that they rate well and all that kind of stuff, but it's just not the type of TV that I want to do. This right here was right on brand. It was right on target with what I wanted to do and how I wanted my career to continue to flow. And that's why I love this show so much. You know, it's, it's fun. I'm really interested, in, you know, in how season two will turn out and the, the twists and turns that we'll make it that look like. But at the end of the day, this season is really good. We did 20 episodes, which is a lot. We shot it in two months, which is, you know, crazy schedule. Right. Um, we, we, did, we did two episodes, with 20 episodes, and each one is totally different. They have a different energy to them. And everybody, you know, hopefully at the end, they comes out with a happy ending. It, it really was. Like I said, you know, I'm just letting everybody, I'm talking to Johnny Wright. Uh, he just taped 20, a 20 episode series that's now airing on VH1. Tamar Braxton and Wright come to the rescue of clients whose hair has been botched by a beautician yeah. from their past. And the strategic steam occupation, because Tamar's in the back, she has a little, she has a little, she's communicating with. Johnny talking back and forth, listening to everything, and you hear the you hear yeah. you get to see the reaction to the uh, client with the batch hair to do respond. Oh, he's lying. He didn't do that. Oh, she didn't do that. Oh my God, <laughs> I can't believe that. So you get to have that little fun stuff that's going on back there. But Braxton Wright will help disgruntled customers confront the stylist who damaged their hair. Right will then put the petition yeah. through a re- rigorous, and he really does now because now that's what that's what it see to me. That's when it gets fun to me because that's what I think that. The the ratings really hold in because you get to see actual hair transformations. And, yeah. and then you get to see the engagement of the beautician and the client because there's a relationship there. And I, I know that because people are putting their their full confidence, sometimes in strangers, some in one situation where the sister came in and said, my, her sister messed up her hair. 
I remember when, and and some of these people need to stop asking for hairdos that they can't get. Like the homegirl who wanted to yeah. hair like Beyonce, <laughs> she really needs to stop. She wasn't ever going to get a hair yeah. like Beyonce, but her sister <laughs> said she could pull it off. Then her sister messed up her hair, and then you guys had to bring that together. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Why I enjoyed the show because of the fact that it it becomes a like you said, it's a botched, it's a. Uh, the predator, the predator scene where you where people unsuspectingly bursting through doors and say "aha," yeah. But it becomes yeah, a feel-good yeah. show, Johnny. It's a feel-good yeah. show. Yeah. That's I commend That's you on holding holding your ground on that because it is your face, man. It is your brand, and you don't want that negative, dude. You're the first lady. You're the first lady. Yes, yes, that was important for me. I did not want to leave the you know the leave the White House. And my first big gig was me cussing and screaming and first of all i always tell people they can't edit what you don't give them i would have never given them that anyway right but at the same time you know just to be in a situation and want it and people trying to coerce you to do stuff like that i just did not want to do anything like that so i was very happy that the universe put this in my lap and i was able to do this show i'm gonna tell you something very happy about so far the worst the worst one i've seen so far was the was the was the girl who had the burn on her head looked like a giant bubble or a hump yeah, the, which she got stuck by the needle, right? That one. Well, you know what, y'all? Remember she? It, it, she got burned. Remember she put the put. They put the. I believe the 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 dye on their hair. Remember it started tingling. You said was it tingling? Was it tingling? And they showed. Oh, the oh yeah, 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 yeah. Dude, yes, that one. That looked pretty bad, dude. That looked. Yeah, pretty it was bad. a lot of that. You know, stay tuned. There's so many more that's gonna really. You you you're not gonna probably be able to choose. Which one is the worst one? Because there's oh, no. so many I, I, more. I, I'm just telling you, I just started watching. I'm just letting you know I'm a fan, yeah. Johnny. Come on now, let me be a fan, brother. <laughs> let me be a fan. <laughs> you know, I appreciate it, Rasad. Now, how how has the response been so far with the with the fans, with the television ratings, with social media been about the show? And we're talking to Johnny Wright. He's a star of the new one of the stars. He's co-stars with Tamar Braxton, VH1 to catch a beautician. What's been the reaction? <laughs> So it's been really positive. You know, um, we had a conversation. We had a Zoom call, me and Tamar and the, the uh, other execs from VH1. We yes, had a sir. Zoom call uh, last week, and they said they're extremely happy with the show. It's trending upwards every week. Yes, sir. Um, they said we're the number, we're the number one trending show of, on VH1 right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's doing really, really well. You know, we haven't got the announcement if it's going to be a second season yet or not, but I'm pretty sure it will be. I, I think it should be. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's a fun show. So yeah, I, I, it's doing very well. All of the, you know, I, I, I know people do feel a little chesty sometimes and they, they feel like they can come to your page and say something negative. Right. Just because that's how they feel. But I have not had one negative comment on the show. In fact, I had people who, when we were promoting the show, right. they were saying like, Oh, I don't want to watch the show. They right. literally came back and said, Sorry, I thought I didn't want to watch the show, but I cannot stop watching the show and I'm addicted to it. So people are really, really enjoying the show. But, I think but, but that's, what, I, that's what I'm saying about me. That's what I'm saying about me. I just want to tell anybody who's listening, don't get caught up in the stereotype of what you think what the show is. If you yeah. just watch the promo, the opening promo of the show, it explains in great detail about how this show plays out and how... Both parties get to be, you know, satisfied. That's what I like about the show. You know, the, the person that's on, in on the sting, uh, the victim, they get to meet. They get to confront each other in a positive manner. 
because, hey, yeah. this person's not happy. They gave you money, but they weren't happy. Are you willing exactly. to fix the problem? And then they go through the boot camp and you get the big voila. Even even some of the stylists go, wow. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm always shocked when I see this. I'm like, <laughs> wow, they did a great job. And I like, I, and they, you know, this edited where you, it looks like I'm just with them for a minute. I'm actually with them for a very long time. Right. Uh, before they actually style and finish the hair. But yes, sir. It still shocks me when I see it. The hair looks amazing. Well, John, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Great talking to you again, man. I hope you enjoy being on Money Making Conversations, man. And, and Absolutely. This is fantastic. And know that anytime you promote anything about your brand, please come back. But again, watch VH1's new To Catch a Petition. To Catch a Beautician. Starring Tamar yeah. Braxton and my man Johnny Wright. Be strong, my brother, and be safe, okay? We talk soon. Thank you, Rizan. Talk to you soon. All right. Cars today are like computers on wheels, but you can't fix any of the new features yourself. So when something breaks, it could cost you a fortune. And now is not the time for expensive repairs. That's why you need CarShield. CarShield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for a covered repair, including computers, GPS, electronics, and more. CarShield understands payment flexibility is a must. Plans are customizable and as low as $99 a month. No long-term contracts or commitment. Plus, you get to pick your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed. CarShield is America's number one auto protection company. For as low as $99 a month, you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands. Call 1-800-CAR-6000 and mention code MONEY. Or visit CarShield.com and use code MONEY to save 10%. That's CarShield.com, code MONEY. A deductible may apply. My next guest serves as the Senior Vice President of Trade Show Operation, Director of Technology, and part owner of the multi-million dollar family-owned corporation, Bronner Brothers, Inc. The annual Bronner Brothers Beauty Show is billed as the nation's largest trade show for multicultural beauty professionals and students. This year, the 74th annual Bronner Brothers International Beauty Show will be hosted exclusively online. Sunday, September 27th, and Monday, September 28th. So get your registration forms together. Bronner Brothers is not going anywhere. September 27th, September 28th, you can see the entire presentation online. Please welcome to the man who's who going to tell you the truth, because he is the truth. Please welcome to the Money Making Conversations, my man, James Bronner. All right. Thank you for having me on, Rashawn. Glad to be here with you. First of all, you know, we all know we're in the middle of a pandemic. And um, let's just, just have a serious conversation. I have a brother who uh, has uh, three barbershops and one beauty salon in the D.C., Maryland area. And so, okay. of course, you know, when the pandemic hit, impacted. And still, he's right. made many, many adjustments to try to reopen. And, of course, he's nowhere near where the business uh was prior to the pandemic. You are, you you are a voice. You are a brand that uh that is uh, uh kind of like a a voice of this industry. Tell us about the overall impact of what COVID has had on the beauty and barber industry for African Americans. It's had a, a very uh, heavy impact, uh, as you can imagine. Um, I, I talked with one barber. Um, not too long ago, and he yes, was saying that he's had a shop for over 30 years, and it was just demoralizing to him because he said he's always worked. He has a strong work ethic. He's always gotten up early in the morning and worked uh, to late in the evening, and this is the first time since he's been a teenager that he was not able to use his God-given craft, 
And it, it just, he just said this was, I mean, it just had him literally in tears. He yes, didn't sir. know how to function. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, even he had clients cash out in the money just to stay afloat. But he said even at that, it just wasn't the same because he wasn't able to do anything. So it's, it's really been hard. And it's going to be a long-term impact because uh, estimating at least 20% of these shops uh, will not be opening back up. So it is a a very difficult situation uh, for a lot of industries, but especially our industry. And it's the other unique thing about it is, is you're not able to actually uh, work six feet apart. So, you know, restaurants, you can keep your distance a little bit, but if you're doing someone's hair, whether it's barbering or cosmetology, you know, you have to be hands-on with that. But we did produce videos to show them how to, to do that in the safest manner. The good thing is they, they did release a, uh, a report last week. They had a, a two stylists working together that both tested positive. And they had 130-something clients that they had done during that time when they were positive. But because they followed all of the precautions, uh, both sides wore the mask, uh, there were not one of those 130-something clients that actually got the virus. So that that was good news. It, it relieved uh, the industry a little bit uh, seeing that case study. Well, you know, it's really important that you say that. So it means that I'm assuming that they wore masks and, yeah, uh, and the yeah. customer wore mask. OK, that's right. And that's then right. like my brother, he's like put like this is just him. What he's done in D.C. He's put like, you know, clear sh- uh, shower curtains in between each station to try to get yep. some yep. semblance of uh, isolation. So you right. in conversation or whatever you wouldn't pass. Uh, he's done stuff, things on a reservation only basis. Uh, yeah. Uh, not allowing multiple people in the studio at one time. And the reason we're saying that, because according to the CDC, African-Americans have been disappointingly impacted by COVID-19. And um, black barbers and uh, stylists make up account for 90 percent of your show. And which is generally about 30,000 people attend your show. So that being said, what was when you when you start, when you start as a business person? I'm just bringing on the show to talk about a business because we all had to pivot. You know what I'm saying, James? We all had to right. look at things. And go, well, I can't do it like that. Or you try to hold in and hope and pray that the situation gets better. When it right. started not to get better, what yeah. went through your team mind? And when did you start making the change? We we have to go virtual, team. We can't do this live. Well, first of all, we were highly blessed to make it through our last show, which was uh, in February. Absolutely. We were early right February. at the beginning early of this February. thing. Early February. Yeah, that's week, right, right. Early February. Mm-hmm. And we actually had about 15 vendors that uh, had already paid that could not exhibit because uh, they were coming from China. So the, that was when the travel had just gotten blocked. Mm-hmm. And then we had others that were worried about being among them. So we were able to calm them down, say, hey, the Chinese are not able to come in because of the travel ban. Mm-hmm. So they felt more comfortable coming in. So had it had it been two or three weeks later, it would have really impacted us uh, then. So from there, we, we kind of just looked at the data uh, from week to week. And uh, when we, we saw it kind of going even through the, the hotter weeks, right. uh, we were really worried that it wouldn't go away, like the president said, when the heat came. So right. we, we looked at the data, and, and, and we, we 
knew people had to make travel arrangements, so we said it, we, we would rather be on the front end of this thing, and if we go virtual, it's not something that we have done before. It's going to take time to, to make that pivot, and we had to uh, renegotiate hotel contracts and the uh, conference center, so there were a lot of moving pieces involved. We have a lot of uh, partners who set up booths and do AV and all of that for us, so it wasn't just us, but it was a lot of partners, a lot of jobs on the line. So we we looked at it, and, and, and then we knew we were being uh, disproportionately affected. So we didn't want to be a guinea pig, mm-hmm. you know, for how large uh, conventions and gatherings uh, handle this pandemic. So we made the decision for the long term that we want to keep our people safe, and, and we went ahead as, as early as possible and, and made that decision to go over to virtual. So we've been working on that now uh, for probably six weeks. Right. And we will we'll be open live for registration within the next week. Okay, so cool. We, when you get that, yep. that, that registration, please give me a banner so I can post it for you. Because that's how, that's how we're going to win here, James. We have to win yeah. together. You know, we have to okay. be able to network. We have to have understand that as a community. This is a community interview. Because of the yeah, fact that yeah. I know I have a brother who's involved. I'm African-American. I know the African-American. I know I have to mask up. I'm not listening right. to these people out here talking about not wearing a mask. You know, we are being mm-hmm. overtly affected. When the when the CDC That's came right. out in April, eight out of 10 people who had coronavirus in Atlanta were African-Americans. That's right. That's right. And that information is not being put out there. And so you have to deal with that juggle with with, with an audience that's been suffering financially. And yeah, then being yeah. misinformed. And then yeah. uh, I, I love this quote that you I got. I pulled off your website, James. I want to say that you said okay. barbers and stylists do more than cut and style our hair. They are trusted advisors, friends and entrepreneurs, our extended family. Their shops also offer a safe haven and a hub for our community. In the midst of this unpredictable pandemic, they deserve our support. Wow. Yes. Yes. And along with that, we started a. Uh, beauty uh, and barber relief fund. So we did get with some of our partners and raise money for them. And those checks are going out now. So we had a lot of people to apply that would give them $500 to $1,000 of extra stimulus. So that's another thing that we did beside the training video. Uh, And we also began to try to help them source uh, this PPE material because that's, that was another thing. Like when the the hand sanitizer ran out, you know, how are you going to, help your clients when you can't even sanitize your hands and right. sanitize their hands coming in. So we actually, uh, when this thing first hit, the other pivot we had to do, uh, you know, a lot of the, the, the beauty and, and barber stores were closed. So our product sales dropped in half as a mm-hmm. company. So, mm-hmm. you know, we hire, we employ over a, a hundred people that right. are pretty much all African-Americans. So that mm-hmm. was another internal impact for the community. Mm-hmm. So in order to keep those jobs going, yeah, we, we looked at what we had and what we could do, and we did have alcohol from some of our products like Pump It Up. So we began to take those alcohol tanks and, and went in the lab and, and created hand sanitizer that was moisturizing, and mm-hmm. we began to send that out to the, the stylists and the barbers as well. Are you selling well, that, that online, James? Are you selling that yes, online? That's at, um, yes, yeah, you can get that at BronnerBrothers.com as, as well as the virtual show. Uh, as well, and that okay. that product is called Germless. So we yeah we have uh, two versions. We've got a gel, and then uh, we also have a uh, a four X formula that has four functions. So 
because in the shops, they have to spray down, not only clean their hands, but they have to clean the equipment and the chairs and the door handles. So they can spray the equipment and the mirrors and the chairs. So that's a spray formula. So that we've got we got two versions there. Wow. Well, you know, you got to you went to Georgia Tech, you know, scholarship. You know, and yes, uh, yes. degree in engineer. My degree is in mathematics. So, so you are Wonderful. in a path now, beauty and barber. But you then you just spilled all that chemical, that chemistry information in front of <laughs> just you know. Just let me know. I'm talking to an engineer here. That you, you know, that knowledge. You know, I always tell people, man. You know that. You know, you can always be on a journey. It's not saying that you know. Just do get 100 percent on any opportunity that's given to you. That's what I. That's, that's, that's a right. firm belief in my DNA. And when I when yeah. I looked through your resume. It was throughout the whole thing that you basically have been a serial entrepreneur since a young kid and then to go to college. And we all know Georgia Tech, you you best be on your on your best academic <laughs> behavior up at Georgia Tech. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so talk about that journey. And then then coming into the business, the brother brother business, which has been around since what, 1947? That's correct. Mm-hmm. OK, so my father, he he. Visionary father, man, visionary so, father. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so he had a he had kind of a, a three pronged priority system that he he ran his life by, and that was God first, family second, and business third. Mm-hmm. And that was very instrumental in our organization because he put his family above the business, and that made a difference in the longevity. Uh, when I counsel entrepreneurs, sometimes and they ask me about, you know, how we did, you know. 70 something years and I, you know, I would tell them if you want to have a, a successful business for you know 10 to 20 years and you need to have a great product or service but if you want to go 50, 70, 100 years you need a great and strong family because you're only going to be able to work it for so long so if you want multi-generational you, you do have to, to focus on that next generation and train them and that was the mindset that my father was in. Uh, I remember another entrepreneur asked him uh, when he was approaching 80, he was like, you know, what What will happen to Brunner Brothers if you die one day? And he thought about it. He said, what do you mean if? He said, I'm going to die one day. So he understood that, mm-hmm. and he began to train us from an early age. And uh, we started in business. Actually, uh, I started at five years old with a paper route. So he wanted right. us to... Mm-hmm. He didn't want us to just start in the office and skip a lot of the steps. Started at five with a paper route before I knew even how to ride a bicycle. I had to walk it before school in the morning. Then when we started in the company, he started from the lowest levels, from sweeping the floors to putting stickers on the cap to to filling jars. And, And he worked us all the way through. So I worked in accounting one summer, the lab one summer, shipping one summer, with the salesman one summer. So... He gave us a a range of experience throughout the business so we would understand uh, each department. We would appreciate the employees and and, and really know what they're doing. So that was kind of our upbringing. He never gave us an allowance, so we had to earn everything. So so that gave us an appreciation for money. Um, He would teach us to to invest that money to, to help it grow. So, so that that was kind of our upbringing, and that's so that gave me a good work ethic in school. Uh, I went to um, Benjamin Elijah Mays uh, Middle School, right. I mean mm-hmm. high school rather, right. mm-hmm. um, which is an all-black school here in Atlanta. So that work ethic from the business helped me to to graduate as the top black male in my class, and that helped get me the scholarship at Georgia Tech, and um, I was able to use that. Um, 
that degree was in computer engineering, so I brought that into the business. Computer engineer. So you're going to brag even more, you know. You're going to not just engineering, though, James. Computer engineering. See, see, my degree yeah. in mathematics, I was in that engineering course, I'm going to tell you, James, but physics took me out, though. Physics took yeah, me physics out. Yeah, physics was tough. So that if you tough. ever see me, you can always say, my boy, you couldn't handle that physics, huh? I have to tell you, I sure couldn't. All right, James, you know, you told me about several weeks ago, about six weeks ago, you guys said, hey, we're going to pivot. We're going to go virtual. What was the early planning stages? Because virtual sounds simple. You still had exhibitors. Right. And, and you know, it's a lot going on. For, for 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 this event to go online. So the team, let's talk about that team chemistry you just have to pull together because it's a difference in having a physical event. You go, well, the booth go there, the booth go there, people come through this door, you buy the ticket. So now you have to sell it a different way. That's right, that's right. So it's definitely been a learning experience and a, a, a shifting experience for the entire team um, because because computers and technology was my native field, it actually worked to my advantage. So I, we we bought the only show out there that had a, a, a director that actually field was in computers. So <laughs> God worked that out, even though I didn't know you know why I was going to need it in the future. Isn't that but beautiful? Isn't I didn't know beautiful? such a time as this was coming. Mm. <laughs> so so that that came in handy. So the first stage was really uh, finding the the technology platform and partner that would be to support us in mm -hmm. the virtual world to try to mimic as close to possible the physical world. So the first thing I had to do was look at all of the platforms out there. And like Ustream, the, the yeah, I mean, technology. and you go all the bunch of technology, uh, StreamYard, yeah, you have you I, Google. I went through it. probably 30 to 40 platforms okay. myself. And, mm -hmm. and then, because I had a vision of what I wanted, I didn't want them to just have an experience like Zoom, but I actually wanted them to have something that they hadn't seen before that was a more 3D, because we're a visual industry. Right. So actually, so we're creating something that's going to look like the sim. So you'll have these like avatars, and hey, we, we even paid extra to have them, the, our skin tone, so we could be reflected accurately and, and with clothes and everything. So we would be able to make it look like our people. Mm -hmm. I feel like our show mm -hmm. from our the building we're normally in. So mm -hmm. you'll be able to walk in with this little avatar. And then you'll be able to choose where you want to go, whether it be the exhibit hall, classes, uh, competitions. And, 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 and once you go in the exhibit hall, you'll have these 3D booths represented from each exhibitor. You'll okay. see that. Let, let's slow it down, James. Let's slow it down. I want, I want okay. to break it down because you know, you know, <laughs> you, right, you know right. what you're doing, you know. And so the fun <laughs> part is letting you tell everybody, breaking it all down. See, I can't let you just, you know, just slide through like you're talking to the staff, all of experts. Okay. Right. <laughs> Got a lot of people on this call here, but don't know what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> so, hey, hey, James, you know, here's the beauty of, you know, because I feel, you know, I, I've, been, I've become, since the money-making conversation, I, I've become like a pandemic expert. And one of the okay. blessings out of it for African-Americans has been the use of technology. Okay. Yeah. We have had to accept the responsibility of educating ourselves and learning that this is a tool we probably should have been doing all along. And the reason, right. reason right. I say that is that, you know, you've had two physical events annually. Ever since yeah. I've been knowing you. Now right. you got this virtual event. This almost feels like it's going to be two plus a virtual every year moving forward. Correct? 
that's that's what we got to see. So we because we've never done it, we're going to mm-hmm. see how this turns out. If it turns out really well and people want it, yeah, we we will add a virtual. Yeah, yeah, because you know, because now you know that could be like in, because in that shop. The reason I say that is that it may not be as massive as this, but you know that heavy shopping in that November December time frame could be right. a beautiful thing if this works out the way you're going to do it. Because once the pandemic comes down, we're going to go back. To the physical yeah. exhibits. That's the beauty that's of going. Right, right. If you've never been to a Brother Brothers, that's the beauty of going to a Brother Brothers. Just going up and down the aisle and seeing this activity and that big old yeah. stage and all this stuff that's going on. But now we're going virtual. I went to the website and at the at the on the front of the uh, uh, there's a slider and I wrote down yeah. each one of the sliders I want to talk about. And each one of these sliders said this is what's going to happen at this year's event. And the first slider okay. said multi-state. CEU credits, educate skills, and build your business. Tell us what that's all about. So once you get a cosmetology license, you are required to get these continuing education hours in order to keep your license active. Mm-hmm. So in different states have different regulations. So you'll be able to, with the virtual show, uh, take those classes that will give you credit to be able to keep your license active. So that's what those CEU classes are. Yeah, my wife, she goes, she's an optometrist. And so she uh, has to go to the, she has to, I'm assuming this is exactly what, in order to keep our license, she has to go to these different seminars. And if you, and and you have to get credit for it, or they'll take away your life or suspend your your use. And so, now, is this something that you've always done at the event? Or is this something that you're looking at it now? Is something you may offer in a virtual format in the future? Yeah, we do have those classes at the physical shows, so we always have a certain selection because we don't want people to have to look and go somewhere else to try to find a college or something to go take them. So we make it convenient where you can get your continuing education credit classes there. Well, no, yep. there was so, it was something I learned about, about, about that I didn't know. Really, the what, uh, the, the average uh, brother brother show is like what? Is it three days? Correct. Okay. The first day is like education, right? It, it focuses on it. Yes. Yeah. And, and that was something I didn't know. So really, when I, I think that's a, that's important that people understand that the event is about education. It's also about the everybody, the headlines, get the hair show, the products and all that. But there's a day that's dedicated right there to educate people, especially African-Americans in the beauty and yeah. uh, barber fields. I think, can you take a moment and expound on that? Because I didn't know about that. And when I found out about it, I, I, I just took a deep breath and go, wow, that's powerful. And, and that's something that uh, we want people to, you know, stay refreshed in their skills. And that's true with almost with any field. So if you don't continually learn, you'll fall behind. So we focus on education so that um, the stylists can take their careers to another level and then take their clients to another level. And, and we do it holistically because sometimes our community, you know, they don't get the money training, the health training, the relationship training. So we don't just do our hair, our skin, and, and, and nail classes, but we also, you know, teach you how to improve your credit and, you know, how to save and invest your money because we've seen so many throughout the years, stylists making, you know, six figures, but yet retiring without any savings. And, right. and that just breaks our heart. Mm-hmm. So we so we do bring in financial teachers 
Uh, we do teach them uh, legal things. We do teach them health things. Actually, uh, Dick Gregory, he used to come every year yes, and teach did. our health class. Mm -hmm. So so we want it to be holistic, to just uplift the community. And, and, and also because, you know, they are the advisors to the community. So people come in and talk about health-wise what all they have going on. They talk about their relationships in the chair. One time I did a message called One Swiveling Pew, and I <laughs> talked about they might not have a big church, but they got one pew with one person at a time That's that beautiful. swivels. So, so, so we want to educate them so they can go back and educate the community. We have over 100 classes per show. Cool. Now, it was something that really caught my eye. You said 300 companies was or up to 300 companies will still exhibit doing the virtual show. Is that correct? Yes, and we're still working on those numbers. So it, it'll be anywhere from 150 to 300. Well, be well, well first of all, space. if it's 150, it's still amazing. How does that yeah, work? Yeah. I, I wanted to bring it up. How does that work if a person listening to my show, the interview, because it's going to air prior to September 27 to 28th. How could they be mm -hmm. a part of it, and how would it show virtually? So everything will be at BronnerBrothers.com, and, and it'll show, basically, you will have this, this 3D-looking booth where mm -hmm. you will be able to customize it with your company's wow. graphics. And then you will be able to have an online store built in. So we already have the credit card processing built into your booth. Mm -hmm. And you'll be able to load your products in, put your show deals, and you'll be able to load your, your videos, your handouts, and PDFs. So people will have these virtual swag bags. They can come by, click on your information, you see your video, see your, your, your handouts, see your show deals, purchase them right there. And you get the money in your bank. Now, if they want to talk to you, then they will be to click one of three things at your booth. They'll be to click on do a video chat with you and, and you'll be right there at your home office or and, and they'll be able to video talk with your salespeople or they'll be able to do audio or text. So those are the three ways you'll be to communicate wow. from exhibitor to consumer. That's beautiful. Now, I got to go to the big the big showstopper here. The world <laughs> famous hair battles. <laughs> always yeah, had the yeah. biggest crowds. I always had the biggest crowds That's at the right. Brothers. Brothers right. now. now, I knew if you go virtual, you had to come with the hair battle. Tell everybody That's it's going right. to be live. It's going to be live. <laughs> Tell everybody how you're breaking that down, James. Come on now. Get us excited. All right. So, so the hair battle, it, it involves a lot of props and a lot of things. So we're, we're actually not going to be able to do what we normally do. So what we're going to do is, is go back through the last... 10 years and of hair battles and we're going to pull out those most awe-inspiring presentations and we're going to put all of those together as like the best of the best mm -hmm. so you might have missed years and you'll be able to, we're going to go back and put those into one streaming hair battle a right. best of the best series are you going to have a host um, well, they had, a lot of them had built-in hosts, so we'll, we'll use those hosts, uh, like Tamar Braxton hosted one of the last ones, so it, they, they had different hosts, so we'll incorporate some of that into each one. Come on, you gotta, you yeah. gotta have a host, though. It's like, it's like, I mean, just a, just a, just a energized person right there, just talking about, if you miss this hair, Tamar, tell them yeah. what they missed. Come on, Tamar, tell them what they, you gotta have that, cause I'm just telling you something, man. The uh, hair battle. The hair yeah. battle is the is the bomb of the show, you know. That's we, right, that's and right. so, but you, I know what you 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 just said. See, a technical guy just spoke there. Okay, James. That's now, right. now this is an energized, creative guy talking to you. <laughs> 
everything you said gonna work. Everything you said gonna work. But you gotta have that 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 one little spark plug. They're gonna bring them all, all right. in. Are y'all ready? Come on, come on. Are y'all ready for the show? Are y'all ready for the show? We're gonna take you to the north. We're gonna take you to the east. We're gonna take you to the south. We're gonna take you everything. But right here, that's all I'm asking. Everything you said right. is beautiful. I just wrote that down. Just, just put a host there. Right. Put a fantastic <laughs> host just to just can keep everybody energized and give those little nuggets when they come back to him. Gotcha. He gonna throw them to the or she will throw them to the next location. Now I I, right. I, I got excited because I gotta go to the next category. Be entertained okay. with comedy and music. Yep, so we're gonna have live G- DJ and and, and and that's where you, that's also where your comedic hosts will come in. That's Woo! right, that's right. So we're gonna, see, see, like see, I said, we we're, on gonna, we're gonna make it like you're there. <laughs> we was on the same page. We was on the same page. We on the same page. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, you know, you know, think about it. Man. You, you beat me to it, though. Come you on, beat me on. to it. <laughs> well, you know, the thing about it, James. You know, I, I I love your brand. You know, I love your brother. You know, we do. We always run into Vegas somewhere. We're gonna run into each other. Yep. And uh, and we've all always wanted to say we're going to do business one day together and we and no, I, and okay. I want to just say I'm, I'm 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 launching a new platform called HBCU Awards and okay. recognizing okay. the the uh, HBCUs for the academics but mm-hmm. I'm also recognizing what I consider the community pillars churches okay. barbers and beauty salons and um gotcha. and because like as you stated, that's why I was so moved by your statement because you and people ask me, why are you doing that, Richard? I said, because people don't really understand the value or appreciate the values what black barber and beauty salons do to the community and how right. they affect the community and how they will always be staples of the community. I don't care if they move if they're in a white neighborhood, if black people are in that neighborhood. In their barbershop, right. talking and communicating, and so I'm, right. I'm gonna keep you. Once I I, I, I finish my website, I'm gonna send it to you, and I, okay. somehow I want okay. us to start uh, uh, start shaking shaking each other's hands because what you do and what I've done with the neighborhood awards and what I'm about to yeah. do with the HBCU awards, I feel go hand in hand, and with this pandemic, we're gonna win working together. I'm just talking about you and mine. I'm talking about black people in general. We have to right, learn right. to uh, uh, be able Work to. Together. Work together, and technology uh-huh. is that key. Technology is that key. But James, I just yeah. wanted to bring you on the show, man. I hope you had a good time, man, uh, talking about this, I man. Sure did. You know, because uh, yeah, yeah. I- I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of your brand, and uh, everybody. September 27th, September 28th, virtual. You know, you got to give me some banners. You got to give me some videos so I can start promoting yeah. your brand, James. Okay. All right, now here you a snazzy dresser too, man. So we're gonna we're gonna miss to see them outfits at the, at the <laughs> live show. Don't, don't, don't worry about it. Now, now if you need a host now, I got you now. <laughs> All right, I got you. I, I, got, I got you. you. But you be got safe. The be safe now. I appreciate you, my friend. All right, you too. Much love All right, to you. Bye bye. My next guest was born in Washington D.C., but was raised in Durham, North Carolina. That is where he. Uh, that is where his journey started to become a legendary style icon and uh, former creative director of Vogue magazine. His new memoir, The Chiffon Trenches, offers a candid look at who's who of the last 50 years of fashion. This engaging memoir tells with raw honesty the story of how he not only survived the brutal style landscape, but thrived despite racism, illicit rumors, and all the other challenges of this notoriously cutthroat industry to become one of the most renowned voices and faces in fashion. Please welcome the Money Making Conversation, Mr. Andre Leon Talley. Good morning, Rashawn. How are you? Pretty good, good my morning. friend. Uh, let's get to, to let's, let's, uh, Thank yeah. you for calling in on Money Making Conversation, sir. 
Yeah, my yeah. pleasure. Happy let's, to be with let's, you. Let's let's talk about your style on the cover because I was reading the book, and in the book, there's a photo in 1983 that mm-hmm. shows you sporting a very similar hat to what you're sporting on the cover right now. And then yeah. I go further back. There's a similar style, but there's much more of a floppy brim on it. Now, Correct. okay, <laughs> you know, I'm a fashion guy, so so I loved you. I, I had a Great time reading the book. But let's talk about this look on the cover right quick, this hat that I saw yeah. in 1983, but an earlier version, earlier with a floppy brim. Yeah. That hat is the same hat that's taken in a photograph in 1983. It's the same hat I took in a photograph on the cover. And that is the hat that I, I, I've, I've had most of my adult life. It, I was born in England. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a classic boater. And the floppy one was a Paris hat. That was a hat that had been bought and purchased in Paris. And I don't have that sloppy one, the earlier one. I don't know where it is. may have it at home in the closet. I'm not sure. Right. But the one I have uh, on the cover and in 83, it's a hat that's always traveled with me. I've kept it all this time. And it is my signature hat. I love the hat. Mm-hmm. It's wow. a hat that I think um, it expresses who I am. I, I think it's classic. I think it's it, it, it symbolizes jazz, blues. Right. Right. Creativity and, and elegance. Well, you know, I, I've worn hats. You know, I don't wear hats anymore like I used to. And mm. when I go, I had like about several of them, like three different styles. And you 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 locked mm. into a signature brand, which is commendable. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so so but you had to go through several before you got to this one hat here. Yeah. 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 Well, I did. I did. I did. I, as I said, the one the floppy, soft floppy one mm-hmm. uh, was a very beautiful hat from Paris, France. Mm-hmm. It came to me in about the 70s. Well, as a child, I was drawn to, to, to hats, and I, I think I had beautiful hats when I was a child, like, right. you know, going to church. Uh, not ex- ex- extravagant as these straw hats, mm-hmm. but, you know, felt hats and snow caps and ski caps and all that kind of stuff. I've always been drawn to a hat. I think it's just a exclamation point to your look. Absolutely. You know, it's really interesting in your book. You say you found your fantasy world in books, records, and classical music, Nina Simone, mm-hmm. Aretha Franklin. And yeah, at the age yeah. of 12, your world became the glossy pages of Vogue. Talk yes. about that journey of those. Because I know that I always tell people you, you find yourself when you're young. And if you, and mm-hmm. really, if you understand that's where your gifts really are, that when you're in your 40s and 50s, mm-hmm. you should be making money money off of your gifts. If you stick oh, to Well, I did. I did. I made money. I got good paychecks at Vogue for the 38-odd years. Someone asked me in England on a, a radio show, why did you stay there for so long? And I said, because of the paychecks. Right. It was good paychecks. Well, you know, and when I discovered Vogue magazine in New York, the Durham Public Library, it was a revelation to me. It was a world that I was not exposed to in my home, and it was a beautiful world. It was a world of literature, art, music, glamorous people, famous people, beautiful people. And it was a, a world of substance and style, and I just gravitated towards that. I loved Vogue, and I loved any sort of um, tributary that came off the river of Vogue. Life magazine, Sally Kirkland was a great editor. She had great fashion stories, the New York Times fashion supplements. So I just, I was an only child, and mm-hmm. I just was pretty much was a loner. Right. And I, when people were playing basketball or baseball, I was in my house tearing out the pages of Vogue, not for the beautiful pictures only, but for the words, for what the words spoke to me. Right. The, the stories spoke to me. The way the people looked in their homes spoke to me. The way the men, they had a column called Men in Vogue by Camille Douay. Right. He was French. He lived in New York, and I met him. And he he just, the, the, his column, Men in Vogue, this is just where I wanted to be. You know, they wore velvet jackets. They wore shirts with ruffles. 
they wore velvet slippers, and it was all very much what I wanted to be. And I, I dreamed about this world, and I suddenly was thrust into this world. By 1983, I went to Vogue as a news editor in 1983. By 1988, I was promoted to creative director of Vogue. Well, you know, I, black I, man ever. Well, I don't want to get to Vogue yet because your journey to Vogue is an interesting one. And that's sort of a compelling one because in the book you talk about, you know, when I don't talk about it, these are actual dealing with racism, dealing with rumors, yeah, yeah. dealing with lives, dealing with name calling mm-hmm. and all that. But let's even go further mm-hmm. back when you're in your youth, when you were, when mm-hmm. your, your parents uh, brought you from D.C. to live with your great-grandmother yeah. and your grandmother. And, uh, My grandmother. Your grandmother. Yeah. Talk, tell us about that experience, because that, that's where your faith really was. Uh, was, was well, growing uh, up in my grandmother's house as the only child, I was pampered. I was spoiled. I was totally Was that a good spoiled. thing? Was that a good good thing, you being pampered and spoiled? Was that a good thing? Yes, it was. Okay, good. It was. I was pampered <laughs> and spoiled, but also I was given the great uh, lessons of life mm-hmm. and examples such as values, church, discipline. I had chores. Right. I had to make up my bed perfectly, as Michelle Obama taught our daughters to make up the beds perfectly in the White House. I had to polish the floors with Johnson's face wax. I had to go outside in the woods and chop the wood for the uh, fires. Mm-hmm. And when I was very young, we had we did not have an electric stove. We didn't get an electric stove until about the 60s. But I remember my great-grandmother and my grandmother always cooking on a, a iron, a cast iron stove. And I'll never forget that stove. It was about 58. And that stove had to be constantly stoked with wood and coal. And I would go out and have to get the cuddles, scuttles of coal, even in the snow, in the cold weather, and stoke that wood-burning stove. That stove heated the kitchen. It had a side... Um, a, a container where you boiled water, where you had constantly hot boiling water mm. for the house for household duties. So this was a a very important thing in my life. And so all of these chores just led to to the good conservative old fashioned values, values. and verities that people have in the South when they are black and growing up in the black segregated Jim Crow South. I mean, we the, the civil rights law was signed over in 1963. But I grew up in this great household from the 50s and into 63. By 63, I was in high school. I think I was in the 10th grade. Absolutely. So it was just it was just a very wonderful world. Uh, my grandmother, she she was a domestic maid at Duke University for 50 years. She finally retired. And the last 30 years of her life, she was re- retiree. But she just got up and she was like a pioneer woman. She was strong. Mm-hmm. You know, you would have these images of pioneer women. These women can do anything. They they can cook. They can squirrel, skin a rabbit, skin a squirrel, mm. make a squirrel stew, Brunswick stew out of a squirrel. You know, they kill a squirrel. Absolutely. I remember I Tastes seen my like grandmother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just do all everything. And plus, do all the laundry, the household laundry. Cook, clean, scrub, sit down. Read her missionary helper. Get up on Sunday morning. Cook cook a pan of biscuits for me before church. Come home after church and cook the afternoon supper: fried chicken and greens or string beans and sweet potatoes. And just it's just a simple world. The world was a world that had foundations that carry, I've carried on throughout my life. So so I the think. so the fact that your your, your great grandmother and your grandmother raised you in Durham. 
that really laid the foundation for who you are today versus your parents Absolute. raising you. Absolutely. It, well, my parents were always in my life. My mother and father lived in D.C., and they were not domestic workers. Right. They were uh, grade-level uh, grade government workers, mm -hmm. and they always supported my, my upbringing, my schooling, and my, they gave me everything I wanted. They would send money down to my grandmother every two weeks for my, you know, books. Uh, I had wonderful clothes. I had the first set of world book encyclopedias on my street. That was, I was very proud of that. Record I still player. Have them Come on, throw it all out there. Come on, Andre. Throw it yeah, out there. Had, Your daddy was doing players. it. Your yeah, daddy was laying it out for you. <laughs> typewriters, record players, mm -hmm. supplement allowance so I could then go to stop going to the library to read Vogue. I would go buy Vogue. And right. It came out twice a month in the 60s. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Reeland published it on the 1st and the 15th of every month. That was the fee. And I would go across town on Sundays when it was coming out the magazine. I looked forward. That was my big, you know, outing to go buy Vogue magazine. So I think I had a privileged upbringing, although I was in a very restrained space in the world of blackness in right. the segregated South. But but in that whole process, the creative process, you know, when I, when the, that's all that just keeps, you were allowed to be you. Am I saying that yes. right? Yeah, you perfectly. You said it perfectly. Mm -hmm. I was allowed to be me. My grandmother did not. As long as I did the right thing, <laughs> I could just do anything. My grandmother gave me free reign, and I sat back, and I had a room of my own, and I read Vogue, and I listened to Laura Nino, Lero, Nina Simone, Mozart, Beethoven, Mahalia Jackson. I listened to my records. I had my own world and books, books for my friends. I had some friends. But books were my friends, and Vogue was my friend. I mean, I I I lived for Vogue magazine. Now you, but you talk about some you know, nasty kids and bullying, and, and when we yeah, look back yeah. on, you know, everybody thinks like bullying started, you know, recently. Bullying. Oh no, 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 no. Oh, the, the, it was awful. But you know what? When when I go back home now and see my friends, I've maintained good friends from mm -hmm. high school. Mm -hmm. I can look at them and say, "Hey, look, look at me now. How you doing? I'm doing." <laughs> I, I'm out in the world. You know, I've got a book. I've had a documentary called The Gospel According to Andre. Mm -hmm. I went there and showed it at Hillside High School. I showed it in one of their great weeks. They had me there for three days. We showed the film. We had events around it. They gave me, the mayor gave me the seat to the kitty and a proclamation, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, when you go to those those uh, high school reunions, yes, you sir. can say, look, I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, uh, and I, I, you, I can feel you're okay. I, I like to believe that uh, the, one, of the, one, of the, one of the best lines in your book was that, you know, you're in your 70s, but you feel like you're 29. Thank that, you. Thank that, you. That's, that's my favorite line because I tell people that, you know, it's, it's, it's a mindset. Yeah. It's a, it's it's a how, mindset. You, how you walk, how you communicate. I'm not trying, mm. you're not trying to say you being 29. You just said the uh -uh. mentality. Uh, the mindset. I am fresh. Come on, Andre, tell them about it. Tell them about it. I wake up every day ready to learn something new. I attack, I fresh. I'm still learning knowledge. And thank God I had early on this passion for books and book reading. Right. When I turn the page of a book in this pandemic, if I'm sitting down with a book, it is a happy moment for me to sit down on my front porch and turn the page of a new book that's coming in the mail from Amazon. I mean, I just got a whole slew of James Baldwin books. I think that James Baldwin, what he did and wrote and said in the 60s is so relevant today. So all this summer, I've been reading everything I could get my hands on by James Baldwin, mm -hmm. including his last interview in 1987 before he passed away. And that came to me last week. And I, I've been just reading. And I'm, I'm just, every day you can learn something new. 
I was young. I was, I love fashion. By the way, I always say, as Judge Judy says, they don't keep me here for my looks. They keep me here because I'm smart. Okay. Well, well, that is my motto. That is my motto. They don't keep me here for my looks. They keep me here because I'm smart. Well, it's smart in so many ways. You know, learning French, which and you know, which allowed you yes. to go over yes. to France and, uh, and yes. do, yes. participate in the fluently participate in the yes. Paris, yes. fashion yes. world. But more important, yes. now, before we end this break, I want to talk about you graduated from HBCU. North Carolina uh, Central University. Central University, yeah. And uh, t- uh, was that significant for you then, or is it more significant for you now that you graduated from HBCU? Uh, it's more significant for me now because uh, I'm proud of that. I was proud of NCCU, mm-hmm. and I, I, I that's where I got the scholarship to go to Brown University Absolutely. and get my master's degree. Absolutely. So I'm proud of that. It, it, it means a lot to me. Why did you write this book? Why did you write this book? I wrote the book because I felt that I was approaching the seventh decade of my life, mm-hmm. and I felt that I had to leave a legacy recorded by me, factual. I had so many stories to tell that were great. I had so many scars that I healed, my wounds healed it. Um, you know, I experienced racism, mm-hmm. ageism, sexism mm-hmm. in my career, mm-hmm. and I just felt that it was important. And, and, and luckily, the book came out at a timely moment. When we, everyone is talking about systemic racism in our country, right? Uh, you know, tearing down the monuments, the Confederate flag, right. our terrible president, the whole thing. Absolutely. And um, I felt that I had to write this book because I had done a, I had participated in a great documentary that came out on me in 2018 called "The Gospel According to Andre." And the love that I saw from the people who watched that documentary, not only famous people, but just people, in normal people walking the streets, I saw your documentary, I love it so much, I saw my, that gave me the confidence to write the book. The mm-hmm. book was a no-brainer for me. I sat down and wrote the book all from memory. I don't have notes, I don't have diaries, I don't have journals, it comes all from my memory. Bank. Well, you know, it's really, I can tell because it's like little little nuggets you drop in, you know, like. Yeah, in, yeah. Like, they you know, just you, come to me. Right, you know, and that that's the beauty of people realize when you write the book, you know, first you just, you just write out and the general thoughts that you remember. You know, so yeah. the, the layers start dropping in there. Like yeah, when you were yeah. shopping in Paris with Diana Ross. That's and, right. <laughs> tell us about that. That was a moment. That was a revelation for me. <laughs> Diana Ross, the first time I ever met Diana Ross, I was having lunch with her in Paris at this famous restaurant called Maxime's. It's been, I know that. Know, I've, been, I've eaten there. I've eaten there. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And for people who don't know that it's in films, Maxime's has been in films. Uh, the film Gigi, uh, a great technicolor film in the 50s. Maxine's is a, a, a moment of style, and on a Saturday morning, we were going into Maxine's, uh, uh, Betty Catru and Francois Catru and I, and Pierre Cardin, and Diana Ross was coming in for lunch, and she came in with this amazing fur coat to the ground. We had lunch, and we went straight to the jeweler store, and I was so impressed because it was the first time I had ever witnessed, you know, I was young, I was in Paris, I was 27. A black woman went into a very fancy jewelry store in Paris of a faubourg. They didn't ask for a credit card. They said, yes, Miss. they knew she was Miss Ross, of course. This could have been an imposter drag queen. They sent the jewels to her hotel. No checks were issued. No bill of sale. No questions. Miss Ross, you will get these bracelets in your hotel by 5 o'clock. And, you know, of course, they, 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 they she asked what the prices were. And then she turned and she said, would you like a little present? And I said, oh, no, thank you. No, thank you. No, I you said so- no. Come on, Andre. You said no. 
Well, you weren't allowed to take gifts. My my company was allowed oh, okay. me to take gifts from okay. someone. Mm, okay. So I thought if I got a bracelet from Donna Ross, and they see they they fire me. So it was ethically incorrect for me to take the bracelet. But I was so impressed that a woman of color could go into Paris, walk into a store, no matter, and just be respected the way Donna Ross was. They didn't say, "Oh, may we see your credit cards, or may we see your identity? They may we see your passport? We could we call your bank?" It was a Saturday afternoon. They right. recognized her, and they said, Miss Ross, these will be delivered to you this evening for you to wear for we were going out that night for dinner. And they were delivered, and she came to dinner in these bracelets. I tell you, I'm, I'm talking to Andre Leon Talley, the book, The Chiffon Trenches. Andre, I like to believe that uh, it all kind of started for you in 1974 at the Metropolitan Museum of Art Institute in a, a fantastic lady who took you under the wing. I want to say her name right. Diane Freeland? Diane Freeland. Diane Vreeland. Diane Vreeland. I know I had to get that name right now. Because <laughs> this, this young lady, she's the, she's the juice for you, man. She's the juice. Oh, for you. oh, oh. She, she was, the, she was the, the, the empress, the oracle. She was the mountaintop. Mm -hmm. She was the most important fashion woman of her time. Mm -hmm. She was the fashion editor of Vogue from 61 to 71. She'd been at Harper's Bazaar for 28 years as the only senior fashion editor. She made images that are now legendary at Bazaar and at Vogue. And everyone who is anyone who's in fashion today or who wants to say they've got style had to be approved by Diana Vreeland. And there I was, her volunteer in 74 for six weeks on a show called Hollywood Design, where I learned everything from Diana Vreeland. I mean, there's a school of Vreeland, and the school is you don't go to school and get a certificate. You just be in her presence and you learn by listening. Mm -hmm. I learned from her by listening, the way she described clothes, mm -hmm. the way she described the linings. Mm -hmm. She gave as much focus to the lining of a dress as she did to the outside of a dress. Right. Her sh shoes were polished with the soles of her shoes. Not the uppers. Her soles were polished with a rhinoceros horn. I don't know why, but her soles of her shoes were, were polished. polished like the uppers. Her $5 bills, they didn't have uh, Uber cars and limos at the curb. People took taxis in New York. Right. Her maid, French, Yvonne was her name, would pot, would iron her $5 bills to put in her envelope evening bags when she went out for dinner so she'd have money to get a cab home. She had her newspapers ironed so she didn't want to read a wrinkled newspaper in the bathtub. She had the newspapers ironed. She had the soles of her shoes polished. polished. Now, what, it sounds superficial, but what is, does that stand for? Discipline, maintenance. Cleanliness is close to godliness. This is what she stood for. These were rituals that came from an Edwardian. She grew up at the end of the 1990s in Paris, and this is just the kind of ritual that she believed in, the way my grandmother believed in waxing the polished floors with paste wax. These are just things you do to keep yourself up, to keep your to keep your values up. You you see a polished floor, you're happy. And you, Mrs. Now, Andrew, you said she, she she grew up when? She was she was born in 1890, so okay. she grew up at the end of the Edwardian era. Okay, cool. That was like okay, 1900s and 1920s right, 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 right. in Paris. So mm -hmm. the Belle Epoque, she she was a young girl at the Belle Epoque, you know, when they mm -hmm. had courtesans mm -hmm. and 
the coronations of the king, and she saw all these wonderful things, and she she just loved uh, the the horses and the way the horses were decked out, and they were just as decked out as the people, the saddles and the reins and the the the, 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 the horse riders. Everything she described was so narrative. She told every dress in an exhibit would have a story behind it. Yeah. Because every dress, who is wearing the dress? Yeah. Where did she wear it? Right. Who was she? And what does she mean to the world? That's Absolutely. what was important awesome. to her. You know, the interesting thing in reading your book was that every page I turned was a nugget to me. A, 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 really, you know. A golden so, nugget, I hope. A golden nugget. It was golden nugget. Well, there's no iron pie right here, my friend. This was golden nuggets here, okay? And so <laughs> and reason I say, when, I, when I say that is the, is the fact that uh, it, it could have been expanded more. It could have been more yes, than just one know, or two pages. Listen, Rashawn, there's a third book in me because I had the contract, and I'm proud of the contract I had from uh, Penguin Raven and House Valentine, mm-hmm. but the contract said I only had to write 80,000 uh, words. Right. I could have written 160,000 words, know. but this is the book they wanted to, they wanted to publish a book for a certain size, right. and you know, the format, but I could have written 160,000. I could have still been writing to this day and still could be writing. Well, because that's, that's, that's interesting stories. Like, you know, like the whole period when you started out, of course, you know, and then uh, you basically was starving or then that Christmas period when uh, when she told you yeah, not to leave. Said, don't go home. She said, don't, don't go, go home. home. Don't go home. There's nothing at home. And it's really true. You know, when you go back, <laughs> man, it kind of like breaks your values, breaks your motivation. You fall back in yeah. old habits. And that's what she yeah, was yeah. telling you. And then that whole Paris run, which was yeah. a genius period of your life, I feel. Because, the moment, the zenith moment of my life. Yeah, because of the fact that, first of all, you're a black man, tall black man. Yeah. Speaking only French. one in the front row, only person in the front, front row, row black. But then, but then that's when it turns dark in your life. You know the well, it turns the, dark because people of jealous and racism it comes yes, up. Yes, people yes. People calling yes. me Queen Kong. Yes, sir. allegedly one girl called me Queen Kong, and it took the Paloma Picasso, the daughter of the famous artist Picasso, to tell me. And she said, "You know, this girl is going around Paris and calling you Queen Kong, and people are laughing at you." But I love you, and I said okay, and then I just kept that bottle up, and I never told anyone about that until I had this documentary and I sat down and talked about it mm-hmm. in the Vogue uh, archives and I revealed that in 2017 and this this was a hurting thing you know this was hurting me and then one of my bosses came and said one day stood up in the office and said we've heard you've been sleeping with every designer in Paris men and women and I thought well God that, that, that would I, I would be so busy Am I a stud? What is this? And then I realized how racist this was. Right. I recently had an email from the man saying what a great book it was. But he didn't know at that time how hurtful he was. You know what I did? I went off and and weeks later I resigned. I quit Women's Wear Daily. And the doors opened and I wouldn't have gotten to Vogue had I stayed in Women's Wear Daily in the position that I was in. Because I thought, this door is going to close. I went to the Madeleine Church. This is a church where Josephine Baker was funeralized mm-hmm. in Paris. Lit the candles, lit three candles, candles, right? Yeah, I lit the candles, and I went back, wrote my letter of resignation, had it notarized at the British American Embassy, the American consulate, and then received sent it to the office because I thought I was smart. I thought I'd better have this letter to prove that I resigned and wasn't fired. Because, you know, right. they were, could say, Oh, well, Andre was, you know, there was Horrible. money was missing from the petty mm-hmm. cash. No, no, mm-hmm. money missing from the petty cash. Yes, yes. And they were yes. already accusing me of stealing sketches from Yves Saint Laurent and passing right. them off as Givenchy. Based on your relationship with Givenchy, right? 
You gotta go get it right, Andre. You go get it right now. You know, it's your world now. Keep keep me rolling right, my friend. I read a great book, but I know I was gonna throw out one name bad. You gonna correct me on? Tell your wife I said it. I told you I said she found she. She found she. You know what you said. I love it. You know when you're past, you gotta say the names right. You can't go say. You know, like the girls say, say Versace. Yes. Versace for Versace. Yes. It's Versace, yes. not Versace. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I love it. Uh, you know, it, 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 I, it's one part of the book I love that I want to talk about. Your experience when you went to, for one year only, Ebony and Ebony. Jeff. Ebony. Ebony. <laughs> that was a great moment for me. That was, that, I, I, you know. I'm going to tell you why I loved it. I'm going to tell you why I loved it. You said, okay, they, they didn't know what, I, your, your family didn't know anything about what you were doing in Paris. But once no. they found out you were working for Ebony and Jet, Lonnie, our baby that made it. Our baby yeah, that yeah. made it. I, they made it. He made it. He made I made it. That was the greatest year. Oh, Mrs. Johnson was a great woman. She was a fabulous lady. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, Mrs. Johnson. I learned so much. She has such style. And you know, she started the Ebony Fashion Fair. That Absolutely. was her idea. That was her. And nope. she took it all through all over the country, the Virgin Islands, these fashion shows. She showed the world what style could be. Her fashion fair shows were legendary. Yes, it was. And she would go to Paris and buy all these extraordinary clothes. She didn't sit buy a little doll suit. She knew that the people, when they went to the show, they wanted to see extravagance, fantasy. Mm, right. She'd buy the most extra- extraordinary pieces and paid for them full price. Yes. And she started doing it in the 50s. So before I got to Paris, she was the only black person on the front row, mm-hmm. and they respected her pocketbook and her style and her expertise. She was highly respected and revered in the world of fashion in Paris. Mr. Celeron, Mrs. when I got to Ebony Magazine, Miss Johnson said to me, Andre, Andre, you got to get me a picture with E. Celeron. I want to have a picture with you and E. Celeron. And I thought, <coughs> that's why she hired me just to get that picture. Well, the first time we went to Paris on the Concorde, mm-hmm. backstage, I had the picture with E. Celeron and Mrs. Johnson and myself. And I had that boat on, I had that thing hat on. <laughs> with a Georgia or brown Georgia Armani suit, cocked to the side. Cocked to the I side. I had that hat on. Well, let, 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 let me skip. I know we're running out of time, but I had to get this one story, and I'm mad because I looked at There's no picture of you wearing this so i was kind of mad at you here it was okay. the, it was the when you when you broke code and you went yeah. to this black tie event oh. wearing that gown over the shirt yeah. and those gray socks yeah, yeah ba- bathrobe bathrobe ba- carl lagerfeld's cashmere bathrobe dressing gown yes yes and yes. i i had to go across i didn't have time to go home and change and carl said put this on this is will go we gotta get take one of my white shirts i had on gray trousers wear one of my white shirts and a black tie it was a scandal Everyone, when I went to Maxine's, everyone in it was a scandal. A black man at a black tie dinner in Maxine's with a dressing gown on. Now, listen, it wasn't just a bathrobe. It was a cashmere, black, piped in satin, friends, silk satin tassels. Love you. And it was dope. And I walked into Maxine's and the Red Sea parted and the jaws dropped. All of Paris. And the next day, I got on the phone with my best friend, Betty Catrou. She says, Andre, you don't even know that's all they talked about. They are shocked, but it's very amusing. It was a sort of 
social scandal. And I don't have any pictures of it because no one thought to take pictures. That was 1978. Uh, someone mm. drew it. Carl Lagerfeld drew it, but I don't know what that drawing is. It's probably just a bit. Shame on you. He did a drawing of it. Shame he did on a drawing you. Of it. Shame on you. The, great, the best <laughs> right story on. in the book. Best story in the book. And I don't have a photo. But one of my favorite uh, photo, I'm going to just let you know, that was on right. page 177 when you yes. were in that splendid multi-shot in Paris and June of 2013. That picture right there, my friend, I hope you have that framed in your home. That is Which a, picture? Oh, you have the, you're, you're, uh, you're on the uh, balcony in uh, your uh, Ralph Lauren uh, dinner suit. Uh, oh, I got that frame. Oh, yeah. Oh, my I God. Got that. Oh, my no, God. That. Oh, oh, my yeah, God. Oh, my frame. God. Andre. That, oh, I got that frame. Oh, Andre. I got all those clothes. All those clothes are here. Uh, uh, I got that. That I got right that. there? I got that. That's a bad, yeah. of anybody. That's a bad look right that's there, brother. A, that, that is a picture that says, I have made it. My man. Because I've been in Paris. Uh, I, I you know, got the I want to thank you for coming on my show. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Sure, I enjoyed talking to you, and I want to come back on your show. Absolutely, the book I have. Absolutely, right. thank you, my friend. You stay safe out there, God and bless. I keep. I, I'll support this on my social media. I support it okay. on my fan club. Get the word out. Plus, my wife know you. Okay, thank you, my give, friend. Give best regards to your wife. Okay. Thank you, my friend. Bye bye. Thank you, Rashawn. <laughs> bye bye. Cars today are like computers on wheels, but you can't fix any of the new features yourself. So when something breaks, it could cost you a fortune. And now is not the time for expensive repairs. That's why you need CarShield. CarShield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for a covered repair, including computers, GPS, electronics, and more. CarShield understands payment flexibility is a must. Plans are customizable and as low as $99 a month. No long-term contracts or commitment. Plus, you get to pick your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed. CarShield is America's number one auto protection company. For as low as $99 a month, you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands. Call 1-800-CAR-6000 and mention code MONEY. Or visit CarShield.com and use code MONEY to save 10%. That's CarShield.com, code MONEY. A deductible may apply. My guests that I'm about to introduce, that they, they got the career and financial planning check. They got the entrepreneurship checked. They got the motivation checked. They got the leadership checked. Overcoming the odds 2008 checked. And how to live a balanced life. Got two beautiful kids. Cool. My next guests are a power couple. They are award-winning entrepreneurs and owners of five wing stops and four fat burger franchises. I would be fat if I was good friends to them. I'm telling you, that fat, that double king burger with some fat fries and that strawberry shake. Woo! Tell you. And have received the Million Dollar Store Club and Top Sales Increase Awards. Their new book, Faith, Family, and Franchise, will give you the blueprint on how to build a successful business from scratch and teaches you how to make business and life work for you. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, the power couple, Clint and Deanna Lewis. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. What an intro. I'm just telling you something, Clint, Deanna. It's rarely, I always tell, all my episodes, I always tell people that Money Making Conversation interviews provide relatable information to listen about career and financial planning. Like I said, check. That's you too. Entrepreneurship. <laughs> check. That's you too. Motivation. Check. That's you too. Coming out of bankruptcy. Leadership. Check. That's you too. Realizing, hey, you had to come together as a team and lead as a team. Yeah. Overcoming the odds at 2008 in your book. That was, a, that was a devastating moment for you guys, but you overcame the odds there and how to live a balanced life. And uh, I want to start right there because my favorite chapter in your book, and I read the book and I had a really great time of it, was I believe I want to say it's chapter eight. Uh, 
And that's that's the family chapter. And it talks about where you, you the, the kids were being, uh, y'all, y'all were bringing to work. And the reason I want to bring that up because of the fact that, you know, white families, that's that's allows them to, I think, a, an additional level of success because your children can assume by watching your work ethic, by watching that success story, by watching people of all race going by saying yes, sir, no, sir, and you telling them what to do and living the professional life. I believe that was an important time of just the learning process for your children, correct? Absolutely. It was. I mean, we, we, it was necessary for us to have the kids uh, come along the journey because our first location is about two hours away from our primary residence you mm-hmm. know, at that point in time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we had to go ahead and pack the kids up on the weekends because we believe in touching our stores, right? Right. You know, so uh, they had to come along with us. Once we got them out of school, they came up for the weekend and they learned how to, you know, wash dishes, how to sweep floors and, 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 and greet customers and say hello. And my son, uh, you know, was uh, one of the first guys in the back that we we had him cutting potatoes, and his right. little arm was getting tired <laughs> and everything like that. But I said, "Hey, son, this is how this is how it is." And after that day, he said that he felt like SpongeBob in the restaurant. You right. know, <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. He just loved it. Mm-hmm. And now, now, Deanna, your mom. Okay, your children, you know, that, you know, that um, that's a different perspective, you know, uh, Clint, you know, he's a he's a man go getter, you know, that old axiom, you know, he's the breadwinner, you know, he's supposed to leave the house. And and then here you are, mom, bringing, you know, your children to your place of work, your business. How did you feel about that? I actually always wanted them to feel that they had ownership in it as well, right? right. That it mm-hmm. wasn't just, this is my, because they saw mom and dad work jobs. Well, mostly me. They saw me get up and work for the county and go to work. We had bring your children to work day. So they saw me in the social work position, right? right. Mm-hmm. But I felt that it was so important that we're owners of this business. I need them to see us in ownership and see that mommy can work just as hard for herself as she does for someone else. And when they saw that, they developed, they they bought into the vision that, oh, we really do own this. Like, we're, you know, we're restaurant owners. And I'm like, yeah, it's us. It's our family business. And I think a lot of times our children don't know what we do. You know what I mean? They mm-hmm. don't see what we do on a regular basis. So for me, I was just now, of course, I had days like, okay, he's tired. He don't need to wash no more dishes. I'll finish. And, you know, <laughs> right, it's right. like, yeah, I. <laughs> right, right, right. Get, get off that stool. Sit on down, son. Going, thank you, mama. Thank you, mama. Oh, Clint, yeah. where are you going? Where are you going? We got some dishes yeah, over yeah. here. He ain't tired. He ain't tired. <laughs> yeah. Man up, boy. Man up. That's exactly it. And, and also, even with the allowance, with paying them, you right. know, I was like, okay, we wanted to show them that we're going to still pay you. You know, of course, my payment was a little bit higher. Clem was like, he's, he's, he's he has a place to sleep at night. That's his payment. Right. I'm like, get a boy some money, okay? <laughs> yeah. I love Clint. I love Well, you know, the thing about it, and thank you guys for calling uh, Money Making Conversation, because I always like to talk about power couples, because I think it's important that the 
how you relate, how these transitions, how the how the how the, the family dynamic work, especially when you have children. Now, Clint, let, let the book started off with your story first. Tell a little everybody a little bit about you, and then Dion, I'm gonna go to you, and then we're gonna journey through the book. Just certain little highlights that I really thought that were inspirational to me, because I always like to believe that when I read good books, and this is a very good book, you learn something from it. It opens your eyes and it allows you to appreciate other people's success story and not just your own. That's the purpose of money-making conversation. Yeah, so, Clint, yeah, start with your story, my friend, before we get down to wing stop and I get hungry. Because this is, I'm just going to tell everybody else, this is an interview. You're going to get hungry in this interview because I'm just saying, I'm yeah. a fool. You will get hungry in this interview. Okay. Now, start well, I'm with you, Clint. I'm originally a restaurateur, so that is not the case. That's the last 15 years of my life, but... I'm a serial entrepreneur, though. Mm -hmm. So since 18, I started off in the financial service industry with uh, insurance, investments, real estate, and loans, in which uh, I still do now. Mm -hmm. uh, I started my own company after being uh, with the uh, uh, company A.O. Williams Primerica for seven years. I was a regional vice president with them. I started on uh, my own in 99, me and another uh, RVP, we you know decided to team up right. and we started our own uh, investment advisory group. So we did that in 99 and it just grew to uh, what, what it is today. Uh, but during that period of time, we looked at opportunities uh, because the real estate market was booming in the early 2000s. Anybody that could fog a mirror could, could buy a house. You know? <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so you said, hey, you know, let's go ahead and get this money. And you just come to a point in time where being a financial planner, financial advisor, you say, okay, this can't be forever. It has to have some type of ending. Right. So uh, we wanted to go ahead and diversify. We had, you know, nine pieces of property as the book shows, um, you know, including our primary residence, but we still needed some other business that was going to generate cash flow. My wife and I weren't entrepreneurs as far as uh, in the restaurant business, but we were foodies. So we already knew what good food was. And in Bakersfield, which my wife is born and raised, she'll tell her story about that. But in Bakersfield, there was an opportunity uh, as far as, uh, well, there was opportunity. It wasn't really too many, uh, restaurants right. besides your McDonald's and your, your, your subway and other mm -hmm. drive throughs mm -hmm. So we were like, okay, what can we do? We love this concept, you know, but, uh, it's wide open. We don't know anything about, you know, being a restaurant to a restaurant. So we, we had, you know, uh, monies available to, to invest in something. And there, you know, we just started to, to do our research. And, uh, you know, like they say, a star was born, a light bulb went off and we, you know, just jumped all in. Well, you kind of, you had a, you had Deanna. Okay. She had this great That's county right. job. Okay. So, That's right. <laughs> and, and so she really, so don't say she, y'all jumped on in cause she was sitting over there. She had those benefits. She had that regular yeah. check. She respected your, your serial entrepreneur background and your had love yeah. for you. But that regular yeah. check was, 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 was holding her. And, and was, so, was so holding the household down. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. So, so, so I love how you, Presented your story. Now I want to slide over to Miss <laughs> Lewis. Yeah. Miss Nine to Five Lewis. Okay, over here. This Miss Nine to Five. Let me tell you something. <laughs> um, I, you know, 
Clint, well, and the thing is, and even in the book, we talk about that. We knew each other before we even got married. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he had um, been divorced. I had been engaged and in a long relationship that didn't go well. Three years. Um, so I knew he had that boss mentality. I knew that he was an entrepreneur. You know, he was signing all of us 19-year-olds up at 19 years old for life insurance. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. Like, right. You're 18 and you're signing up all your 19 year old friends about life insurance. So I knew he had that that boss mentality. Um, but there was still I was locked into the county. You know, that was where you were assured we're going to have insurance. We have two small babies. He had just left um, Primerica and decided to branch off on his own. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I got to stay locked in. Right. I need to know that on the 15th and the 30th, literally at midnight, that my money is in the bank. Absolutely. Right. Um, Absolutely. So he's out there, you know, making it happen for us in the insurance world. And and it was rough. It was rough when he when he walked away, you know, from from Primerica. Um, but I felt that as long as we do it together, I'm really good. Like whatever we do, I just strongly believe that whatever we did, we had to do it together. Even in working different professions, long as when we came home at night, we talked about finance together. We talked about the money losses and the money gains together. We always kept that line of communication open. Um, But I I just, we we looked at the opportunity. I said, okay, we have all this money coming in for for his real estate. And it's doing great, but we don't want to just go blow it on a bunch of jet skis right. and, and, you know, and, and all of the, the material things, which I do like nice things. Don't get me wrong, but I felt like this is too much money to not have something else that we should be investing in. Um, and we trip, you know, vacationed or traveled to Bakersfield so much to see my family. There was just that emptiness of not having any food selections after about 10 o'clock. You know, it's a little small country town, um, about two hours south, I mean, north of L.A. Mm-hmm. So we were like, there's no food places out here. If we bring anything to town, we should bring food. And hence began the restaurant, you know, um, journey. And I went and sat in the Wingstop parking lot, okay, the one that was not too far from my house. And I counted the people coming in and out of there, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if we're going to go big, we need to know what we're doing, what we're talking about. Even though we don't know the restaurant business, we need to know the restaurant company that we're about to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars into. Right, and time. Um, and time, and time. And we reached out to them. They didn't respond. So guess what? We called a plane and knocked on their door and was like, yeah, we left you a few messages and some emails. Y'all didn't answer, but we're ready to move. What's up? Right. You know? Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, the interesting thing like, about your story and also Clint's story is that, you know, it, it's it's a story. The, the, the book, the title says it's Faith which you talk about a lot, how important faith is in your decision-making because you have scriptures throughout the book and at the end of each chapter and your, the family, not only just your fa- immediate family, but your sisterhood, you know, your lifelong brotherhood that you have that keeps you focused and keeps you aligned there, Clint. And then all of a sudden the, the, the franchise. And I just, you know, the thing, and that's something that, you know, African-Americans know need to understand the opportunities. And that's really what really drove the whole plan for me to say, I love this book because as you, as you, as both of you noted earlier that you did your research on this type of book previously, just like you did your research sitting in the Wingstop parking lot. Yeah. Is there a book out there about this for couples? And how to yeah. be entrepreneurs is there a book out there, especially for black couples. So and just but we're going to wrap up this break here. But before we leave, Clint, why was it important to write Faith, Family and Franchise? 
Well, as a financial advisor, I knew that a lot of people didn't have the tools and the wherewithal how to win the money game. I was fortunate and blessed in my profession to understand the inner workings of, of money and business. And in our Christian community, that communal community, as well as just us as, as people of color, we didn't have those insights. They don't have buildings in our communities, you know, Merrill Lynch, you know, Charles Schwab. They're not there, you know, but I wanted to teach people, and that's the, the whole foundation of my practice now, how to go ahead and win the money game. And I have the insights, and I wanted to share it with all the good and the bad, because a lot of people show you all the glow, but right. don't show you, you know, what uh, I went through bankruptcy. I was, you know, maybe, you know, about to lose my home. But we wanted to put it all out there on our personal side as well as the business side so that people can relate and hopefully take action because if they use these principles, they will succeed. That's that's it. Wow. That's hot. So uh, tell me about, you know, when, when about your background a little bit. I know we joked about the whole uh, county job, but, you know, I used to work for IBM. And I know when I got that job at IBM and I told people I was going to leave IBM to tell my pursue a career as a stand-up comedian, they looked at me like I was crazy. Because of the fact, but that wasn't my passion. That wasn't, you know, I was just That's smart right. enough to get a degree in math and smart enough to be able to sit down and fill out an application and get a great job at IBM. But it was a lot of fear in me when I left because it was a lot of uncertainty. And I really love the fact that you had Clint to lean on to guide you through that uncertainty to leave your county job. So tell us about how it all started. And, 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 and very true. I, I just always had kind of uh, more of a, a pessimistic attitude about things, right? So Clint has always been, that's part of our faith journey. He's been the one that has that, that had more faith than I've had many occasions, right? But he encourages me and pulls me along the faith journey for me to say, okay, take the chance, take the chance. But I have been with LA County as a social worker since 1990. Mm -hmm. So when we opened up Wingstop, I'm like, yeah, I think one day I'll leave, but I don't have no plans on leaving, leaving right. no time mm -hmm. soon. Because again, you know, having that that definitive check on the 15th and the 30th at midnight, I knew that there was money in my account. You knew, I knew that if I went to the doctor with a, you know, copay of about $7, me and my children and, and Clint as well would be treated and, and have access to medical attention if we needed it. So that carries a whole lot of weight. You know, like, I don't know about this. Wingstop is doing good. I hear you. We opened it up. But let me see if I can maneuver and do both. And for years, I did both. For years, I worked Monday through Friday, would get off work at four o'clock, get home, pack the kids up, load up the car. And we were on the road to Bakersfield, stayed there Friday, Saturday, Sunday, put the kids in pajamas in Bakersfield just to drive back two hours back to L.A. so that I can return to that job on Monday, you mm -hmm. know, as a social worker. And, and I did that for seven years before yeah. I actually took the leap of faith and said, okay, this is it. And it, it took me a while to get to that point. But at some point you have to just trust in yourself. You have right. to trust in and have faith in all the effort that you put in to make this work, to be all in. Cause I think sometimes if you have something else that's holding on in the back, you won't just go all in because it's a little safety net. Yeah. So how far can you really go? How much can you really grow if you don't ever take a leap of faith of saying, okay, I got to forget those things that are behind me and press forward. But I had the same, listen, Rashawn, I had the same conversations. People were looking at me like I was crazy. They told me right. that I was crazy. When I said we're opening a wing stop or the wing stop wing is now stop. open. 
I like them at all. I know you ain't leaving that job. And you yep. a black too? A black person open the what? They, they, they can't, black people can't even comprehend that. You know what I'm saying? And that cannot. And that's the whole thing about what we're talking about on this interview is comprehending. And that's why I love the fact that when you was making this decision, I always tell people, if you want to be a doctor, don't talk to a mechanic. Okay. So, <laughs> right. You have to have the right mentors, you know. And so you had yeah. the right mentor in Clint. Okay. When you when the yeah. decision to become an entrepreneur, you just went to your mentor. Okay, right there. Clint, what do you think? Yeah. And and, and you looked at how he thought about it, he had the highs and the lows. He had the, a clear understanding that it is work is involved. And both both of you guys have that high work ethic. And that's really yeah. important. And when I was when I was reading the book, because because the book is great, everybody. And this is why the book is great, because they they're willing to tell you their flaws. See, I always tell people, I, yeah. I read books and people kind of like gloss over their mistakes and, well, you know, I I graduated from college and I was famous. Huh? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> One, two steps. Yeah. What step? Because in the chapter one, what you call the lesson is the who are we chapter. You know, Clint tells who he is. Then Deanna, you tell who you are. And then you go ask us for our background. And so you start yeah. setting the stage of, of, and then the most personal chapter is chapter is lesson two. Indeed, and, and that's when you, you know, the, you guys were always friends in the church. And then yeah. all of a sudden, but like you said, you had that three year relationship where the, you kept putting off the, the date and you was doing the catering and the bridesmaid dresses. And finally, <laughs> you know, this ain't happening. Bye. Bye. This ain't happening. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, yeah. you know Clint, you know, he, he was married, but he didn't have time for marriage. You know, yeah. you know, yep. that, that yeah. was key right there. Then I went yeah. through that journey, yeah. too. Just because you can buy the car, the house, you still have to have time because yeah. it's yeah. called communication, yeah. folks. Communication. And that's what chapter two, because it talks about the divorce. It talks about getting together and it talks about them being church people. But I'm going to tell you, let me tell you all something about these two church people right here. They get busy, though. They some getting busy, busy church people. <laughs> <laughs> Little CJ came along because they were getting busy, busy, busy. And that's yeah. what I'm talking about, willing to share their story. And that's an, and, and so it, it really t it, it all comes together for me, really, in uh, chapter four, because we all have these journeys. We all have these dreams. But what happens when the dream kind of crashes or become a nightmare? Yeah. And that's uh, the stock market. Because I wanted to talk about that because you're kind of dealing with it now. The crash yeah. of the stock market yeah. in 2008. Now you have the yeah. pandemic of 2020. Yeah. Tell yeah. me about that. Well, I think the best quote in the book comes from my beautiful and lovely wife. And it tells the story <laughs> about everything. We had already lost almost everything that you could lose. They picked up our car. We had the Mercedes S500. They picked that up in front of my house. But <laughs> we were, you know, in that period of time or transitioning where, you know, we didn't know if we were going to be able to keep in our own home where we lived at. We already yeah. lost everything else. And she comes up with a, with a, ask me a question. Hey, I know you say that we, we, okay, just hang on and you're doing good. You always, you know, say it's going to be all right, babe. But I just want to know, are we painting or are we packing? Right. <laughs> and, and, and that just resonated. I was like, dang, okay. Yeah. So I guess if we're painting, that means that we're staying or we're going to pack this sucker up and we're going to just go and move out with the babies. Yeah. And uh, that was where it kind of came home to me where, okay, let's go ahead and really sit down and see how we're going to make it through 
because we had already, you know, looked at everything. But I also knew how to count our blessings. We had the store that was still open. We had already lost the store and we had our, our house. So even though that it looked like our, our walls and everything like that were crashing, we still were doing better than most people can say during that period of time in the, in, in, in the recession. We had a, a place to live and we had a business that was, doors were open, we weren't making any money, we had everybody knocking on our doors and, right. and trying to tap our teal, but we were still, <laughs> we were still open. And we were pay, keeping up with payroll, yeah, everybody well, got paid. Yeah, yeah. Payroll <laughs> and rent was the only things that we made yeah. sure that took care of. Anybody else as far as vendors, we switched chicken vendors about three or four times <laughs> just uh, to try to catch up on one because right. we had an outstanding invoice on the other mm-hmm. but we we made it through that period of time and and i only believe that because we kind of came together and we were willing to go ahead and 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 and, and figure it out together right then we were able to make it through to the other side now that's 2008 now we have the pandemic unexpected nobody mm-hmm. saw it coming 2020 which caused you to pivot let's talk about that experience yeah. and dealing with that and then i want to go back to uh, back to this chapter, talk about something that I felt was very neat called relationships. But talk to us about the pandemic and dealing with it. Nobody saw it coming. Deanna. Um, we didn't see it coming. You know, I think our first glimpse of it was when we were actually down in Atlanta um, and had just left our son thinking that, you know, he's going to be finishing this semester down at Morehouse. Mm-hmm. And we go in the airport and the airport is like empty. Right. Remember, okay. it was like nobody in the airport. I'm like, OK, something is really going down because there's no travelers here in the airport. Um, but the beauty of it, what we did know then when we invested into Wingstop was that their concept is built on takeout. Yes. Like the concept has always been on take the wings home for, you know, with you to go. So in this 2020 pandemic on this side, of the restaurant business, we're actually thriving. Right. We're actually thriving. Um, our numbers have even increased um, and we reduced our hours. It is changing how we're going to do things. We've had to change and, and reevaluate how things are set up as far as how we're servicing our customers with social distancing and, and wearing protective masks. But in the restaurant business, you're already kind of sanitizing. You should be or you shouldn't be in the restaurant business, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. right. <laughs> you should mm-hmm. already be taking kind of health precautions anyway um, as far as how you do business. So we were actually in the gold mine business of Wingstop because it was always set up as a carry out. So it hasn't really affected us. Now, on the fat burger side, a little different. Um, we have a um, location that's at Arizona State Campus, which is closed and it's still closed because school isn't in. Right. Um, so we had to close three of those and we were able to keep one open. But right now, you know, three of them are open and one is still closed. Mm-hmm. So we we know what it is to come through, but I think going through it in 08, we already saw what that looked like and we vowed Felt to never like. be back in that situation. So we reevaluate how our spending is, how we save, how we make sure that we, we invest in more than just one thing. Don't have all your, you know, apples or whatever, oranges in one basket, you mm-hmm. know, you want to, you know, diversify. And we looked at that and ever since that coming out of that recession of 08, we just, our thinking changed. It shifted to where we wanted to have, you know, multiple upon multiple upon multiple streams of income and right. make the, our portfolio diversify. It really is um, important. That's I, important. And I think that's what has saved us right now is because of that. You know, I wanted to bring up something in, uh, in that chapter. It was like a relationships. I always tell people, you know, always uh, you walk away from somebody shaking their hand. 
with a good spirit mm-hmm. because uh, you, you, the county job came back into your life and yeah. uh, with 2008 and it was it only came back into your life because you left in good good stead That's you right. was an incredible yeah. worker even though you knew you were spending a lot of hours with your franchise the wing stop you it didn't diminish your work ethic at that location and it came back to save you from 2009 to 2013 financially, gave you guys yeah. a steady check and and gave you guys a, that health benefit that you needed and that 15th and 30th check that you could count on from that period. So talk to us about relationships because in business relationships and all those things that are important that a lot of people tend to kind of like uh, downplay, but it's important. And and and, it, and it's very important. And to speak on the 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 time that I, I left the county and then came back, it was because of the relationships I had established. Um, I had respect there. They respected me. I respected them. I appreciated my county job, and I was able to make those phone calls and say, and then humble myself. I didn't. I did not return back to the county job with this arrogance of, oh, I have a wing stop. You know, that's you know, I'm a I'm a restaurant owner, and you guys should you know listen to me and ha- and I'm like no I stayed in the humble position I went back to social work um, they had me on a couple of special assignments because I was that kind of a worker you right. know I was a great worker mm-hmm. um, so they had me on special assignments but it was how I left was why they welcomed me back and when I left the, for the last time never to return again praise Jesus uh, <laughs> <laughs> even then I didn't walk out of there with, you know, yeah, we're getting ready to open our second locations and deuces. I never want to see you people again. I still, you know, remain in contact and and respectful to them and always showed appreciation for the opportunity to come back. And we do that in everything we do. Um, We tease my mom and Clint's mom about them. They never meet a stranger. Like everybody they know, the next time we hear, they see them, it's like they've known them for years. You know, even our friends, they've gotten their telephone numbers and talked them. I talk to your mom. I'm like, how'd she get your number? But <laughs> we've had those examples of what it means to build relationships. Our, our marriage community is strong. We sit around and we take vacations with those couples that we've respected that have a few, you know, more years on us mm-hmm. um, to, to say, this is how we kind of navigate it. We go to them like mentorship. We go to them on how to raise the children, you know, what to do when they go to college. What, what did you, you know, what mistakes that you made that you can help us avoid. Um, and that's been the center of who we are. Even in the book, when we talk about when we dated, um, we dated in big circles of other folks that had the same mindset right. that wanted something out of life other than just, you know, what society say we should have an opportunity to, that's you an, know, that's incredible. That's incredible. And Clint, yeah. uh, I want to close out with you on the clip, a couple of thoughts. First of all, the book is fantastic, but it was in the that same chapter lesson four that we we're talking about. It was the five C's for financial competency. They can help you prepare to own own a business. Uh, can you close it out? Just tell us about that. And uh, and uh, th- thank you both for coming on my show. Um, the storytelling. In fact, I want to bring you back because we haven't even really tapped into the the, 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 yeah, the, the, the book. You know what I'm saying? Because you know I know the book. You know, but but I don't. Yeah. Wanna, but I'm just recommending <laughs> things that I loved about. It. That's why I started from chapter eight by family. See, 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 yeah, see, yeah. see. They talk about family the whole way, but when you when you when you bring up your children and you're letting your children understand the value of hard work letting them see that, they, that this is you can own this you can 
be this. You can walk around and and this can be you. You you can walk by a store and that's and your name is part of the ownership of that store. Yeah. But but absolutely. Clint, let's talk about the five C's for financial competency. Absolutely. So our book is called Faith, Family, and Franchise, but we don't want to alienate people as far as a business. They don't have to get a franchise. That's just our journey. That's just yes. what we've done. It can also be kind of substituted or 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 a synonym for finance mm-hmm. because that's our background. That's my background. So we like the franchise aspect of it because it gives you a business plan. It gives you a template of something that is already supposed to be proven successful if you do your homework, right? But if you're looking at just a business in general, an investor or a bank is going to want to know these five things, and, it's, and, and we call them the five C's. It's your character, are you a worthwhile person? Your credit, you know, are you trustworthy with money? Capital, do you have any money or investment? They want to make sure that you have some skin in the game. Collateral, obviously, that could be, you know, a piece of real estate or some property, also as far as the business assets, and then your capacity. That was the thing that we were lacking. We weren't restaurateurs. We didn't have the capacity or the resumes to basically say that, hey, if you give us this million-dollar franchise, we're going to be able to go ahead and run it successfully. But D went to training. I kind of learned by hard knocks, you know, in the business. D went to a training in Texas for three weeks to get the capacity issue going. So that way you can have the tools to really win at the trade or the profession that you're getting involved in. And, you know, that will lead into other things that you can know about yourself to to really be successful. And you have to put forth the work ethic and the work. Wow. Character, credit, capital, collateral, capacity. The five C's for financial competency. I want to thank you two. The power couple extraordinaire, franchisees, you know, <laughs> workaholics, uh, great parents, yeah. led by faith, built a great family, and uh, and uh, award-winning franchise owners for Wingstop and uh, Fat Burgers. Appreciate you coming on my show. I hope it was a Thank journey you. that was so that was a, that you enjoyed. I know I surprised you. You know, I know I surprised. Be shot back. That would be surprising. I'm, I'm so surprised. I'm just smiling. I got a permanent cheese on my face all day today. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, I, I, before we wrap it up, I'm gonna tell you something. I love Wingstop. Uh, I, I love Fat Burger. Fat Burger because I lived in LA 15 years. So okay. I, so okay. Fat Burger. Yeah. I know Fat Burgers. I know two locations. I go to one over the oh, the Central City and the other one Wilshire and Highland. And I uh, go in there like I told you, that double king, cheese, That's relish, <laughs> all the way. You know, give me some because I got I, I get older, so I can't eat the whole thing. I still go buy it. I still get that because yeah. it's not. I can't get that junior. I can't get. I gotta get the double king, and the single kind of makes me mad, even though I can't eat it like I used to eat it. And give me that large strawberry shake, and give me that large, large fat fry, fat fry. I was about to say fat or skinny. Come fat on, or fat, skinny. I'm a fat guy. I'm a fat guy. Then I go over there and then. Punch, punch, punch on my ketchup and the little whites up. One, two, three, four. Get my little tray, go to my table. And girl, you talking about you have a grin. I be smiling. And I want fat burger for lunch. (laughs) I love y'all both. I want to appreciate you. You know, you're friends of the family. I want to bring you back on the show later on just to talk about, uh, you know, the fall and the the, the life and just going more detail about this book because it's a great book. And thank you for writing it. Okay. And more importantly, thank you for coming on Monday Making Conversation. Bye bye. 
Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> if you want to hear more Money Making Conversation interviews, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I'm your host.